thank you so much for your time. I'm, I am thank you for um, you know your willingness to be able to do this, and uh, we were just happy that it was able to work out for all of us. Great. Let's go. Let's go. Jump in, and then I'll just uh, uh, answer as best as I can. All right. Okay. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm up first, and I'm going to say. 45 years of being an actor is quite the achievement. I mean, kudos to you for <laughs> for lasting that long because there's a lot of people that, you know, don't want to live that life forever. Um, but what or who inspired you to be an actor? Um, I I think I think I can, I can I can measure it precisely from the day um I walked into a play at the University of Illinois at Chicago, where I was a student, and it changed my life. It was a production of, of Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. It had never, uh, Shakespeare had made some sense to me before, but I, I sort of looked at it as poetry as some, rather than something to be performed. And um, lots of pretty words that for which I somehow needed a translation. But all I can say is this uh, marvelous uh, production of A Midsummer Night's Dream in about, oh, I'm going to guess about 1967, 66 or 67, changed my life. I thought it was amazing. Uh, it, it, Shakespeare came to life for me. The, I thought the actors were brilliant. The production was wonderful. Long story short, the man who directed that production back in college became... Uh, one of my very best friends in the world, my first acting teacher, 35 years ago, the best man at my wedding, and by golly, he's still running a theater at age 82. <laughs> he's oh, still doing wow. it. He's in Chicagoland, too, by the way. I'm in Chicago. <laughs> I know, that's right. <laughs> yeah. As you can tell, Don, Don is not. <laughs> well, well, Pamela, he... Um, he uh, he was at he's a emeritus professor at the University of Illinois Chicago, and um, but now runs a theater called the Old World Theater Company in Skokie, Illinois. So he is still very active at age 82. Uh, directs, produces, acts. <laughs> he's an amazing man, and I think wow. that was the reason more than anything that I suddenly thought I must do this. I. Uh, audition for a play he was doing uh, several years earlier, or several, or maybe within a year of seeing that play, and I thought, and he in, he encouraged me and became a real coach and mentor, and God bless him. That probably had more to do with it than anything I can think of. Wow, he than sounds to make amazing. That decision, that life to make that life change. Right. Right. Well, what were you thinking of doing professionally before well, you were hired? I, I had, yeah, I, um, I, I, as you might know, the University of Illinois at Chicago has a big medical center campus. Originally, I was thinking mm-hmm. about uh, being an MD, a physician, and taking pre-med there. And uh, then I sort of verged into the possibility of uh, physical anthropology, which I found interesting, physical anthropology, social anthropology, somewhere along those lines. I started taking those as electives for social studies and found that fascinating. And um, and then um, and it was kind of 
and it had a lot to do with my being in the first play there too, because it was as an anthropology student, somebody came up to me and said, "Hey, you know they're auditioning for um, Arthur Miller's The Crucible." at the University of Illinois, and I thought I found that interesting because I knew it had to do with the history of witchcraft in Salem, Massachusetts in the 1400s, and, or the, sorry, the 1600s, and so I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting from the social anthropology aspect. That's kind of fascinating. And lo and behold, I find my, found myself out of curiosity going to one of those auditions uh, just to listen to and become acquainted with the play, and by golly, I finally wound up after audition screwing up my courage and 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 getting a part in the, in the Arthur Miller's The Crucible, which was in 19 about the fall of 1967, and my dear friend Bill, who was that friend, mentor, and the, the director of that marvelous production of A Midsummer Night's Dream, uh, was directing that as well. So that's where it kind of all began. What a story! <laughs> you know, well, you I never have, know. You can brought... walk into one, walk into a play, and it changes your life. I always thought, you know, I thought I had a plan, and then life upset mm-hmm. my plan by just uh, a bit of a bit of chance. Right, right. I mean, who would have thought if you didn't walk into that play, where you would be now and doing, you know, probably as an MD or. That's the darn right. thing. Yeah, you know? I, I have no idea. I have no idea. I I thought, yeah, I had no idea. Maybe, yeah. Big, <laughs> dig, you know, in some in some dig in Israel or Iran or Iraq or something right, like that. Right. As an anthropologist, but who knows? Yes. Who knows? <laughs> so, um, wow. yeah, that was a, a bit a bit of happy chance for me, and there have been a lot of. A lot of things like that. You know, I thought of the, I thought of the Emmys uh, the other night, and I thought, you know, uh, I look at them and I think the Emmys are for, for, for stars, if you will, for, for, for glamour and stardom. And I don't think of myself as, as either. I think of myself as a, as a, a fortunate working actor, which is why I've only gone to the Emmys once. You know, a fortunate Emmy. Uh, a, a fortunate actor who's a character actor um, who has had the great pleasure and, and fortune of, of, of being gainfully employed for 45 years in a variety of mediums and, uh, and uh, still working in, what, in, in quite a chancy business. Anything in the arts is chancy. And so exactly. um, I just see it as one great continuum as opposed to well when did your big break come or things like that you know that they have had a lot of little breaks all along the line that have sort of kept me on a on a trajectory now, what was your first professional role and what did you learn from it that you've used throughout your career that's a good question well um, I was on the professional stage as a student at the now again one of those many breaks along the line would have been after undergraduate my dear friend mentor Bill um, helped me uh, hone my audition pieces and I got into the school of drama at uh, at Yale University I was a year behind a year or two behind Henry Winkler who just won an Emmy for for yes. um, 
the other night. As a matter of fact, I talked to him on the phone this morning just to say, oh, congratulations, what the hell took them so long, you know, after the Fonz (laughs) on Happy Days and all the other marvelous things he'd done. I said I was just so happy to to hear uh, that he had won, so I called to congratulate him this morning after some of the heat had died down. And um, and then, uh, so I was a year behind him, and I think I was a year ahead of, one or two years ahead of Meryl Streep, Sigourney Weaver. Uh, you know, it was a great school. Some wonderful people have come out of it. And um, so I was at the School of Drama at at Yale, and that's a long way of saying in my third year I, I appeared on the professional stage at Yale. But after, uh, as a kind of, uh, you know, acting apprentice, but in a non-professional, uh, a student, uh, non-professional way. I finally got my professional, um, uh, my uh, actor's equity card, my union card on the stage at a wonderful theater in Louisville, Kentucky called the Actors Theater of Louisville. And... Um, just a, a, still a, a, a wonderful, groundbreaking theater where they do a lot of new material, new plays, things like that. And it was a production of um, A Long Day's Journey into Night by uh, Eugene O'Neill. And I had the great pleasure of acting with the stage and screen veteran. This is a name they may not mean anything to you because of your youth. Uh, the name was Victor Jory, J-O-R-Y. And Victor was, a, oh, if you look up his filmography uh, in uh, IMDb or one of those places, you'll find uh, he was, among other things, in Gone with the Wind, <laughs> in wow. some fi- wonderful things. He was a, a, a marvelous stage and screen a character actor from um, uh, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, and and w- I think he worked well into the 60s too. Anyway, I worked with I, I worked with Victor Jory, who was at that time in his 70s. He played my father in this very tight, uh, wonderful piece of uh, of work called A Long Day's Journey into Night, a Pulitzer Prize winning play. Um, from uh, I want to say the 1940s, it was written, but it was uh, it's a beautiful piece, and uh, uh, I uh, I think what I I don't think I my first pro- professional production taught me much other than I had known before, which was be very disciplined, <laughs> you know, work hard, mm-hmm. nose nose to the grindstone. Uh, but I knew that for a long time. Uh, I uh, I was uh, raised in an Irish Catholic family where I had to get up and serve serve Mass at 6.30 in the morning and had to be out of the house and make my own breakfast and be out of the house by 6 o'clock in the morning on cold winter mornings in Chicago to get to 6.30 mm. Mass. And, yeah. you know, and I was just so I was I was a kid who was very uh, sort of driven and disciplined uh, to be on time and to not keep people waiting for me and do the work or there'd be hell to pay. (laughs) You know, know, 
it'd be a swat from a nun or a, you know a dressing down from a priest or something like that so and by the way i mean it's it's so sad i had i just you know you'll find out i'll talk about the damnedest things i must say this just on, on a side on a side note i find this i while i find the things that are happening in a catholic church right now very believable i don't doubt a word of it uh, uh it's very difficult for any victims to come forward and, and, and say things like like what I've heard. But I had a remarkable Catholic childhood with dear priests and nuns. I was one of the lucky ones. Mm. Um, I stayed in touch with my sixth grade and my eighth grade nuns until uh, they, they passed away. Matter of fact, years ago, one of my sixth grade nun came to us. <laughs> we brought a bunch of nuns to a taping of Family Ties, and, and and to to the day he died, the producer of Family Ties said that was the worst studio audience we ever had. <laughs> couldn't you have, couldn't you have gotten those nuns drunk beforehand? <laughs> They're not very. He says they just weren't out as loud as we want a studio audience. <laughs> he says. Is I want to I want to thank you personally for that lousy audience, Mr. Gross, for bringing your for bringing a bunch of nuns. So, he said they weren't oh as God. raucous as a bunch of Jews would have been. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, your um your resume showcases a plethora of performances in television, films, and series on Broadway and in theater, and the list goes on and on and. What is your preferred or favorite medium to perform in? Well, um, for yeah, I don't I don't have one anymore. For years, I was a theater snob. I was at the at the Yale School of Drama. We had it beaten into our heads that we were there to serve the American theater, uh, and that the greatest thing we could be would be repertory theater actors. You know, uh, uh, following in the footsteps of you know, the Olivier's and the great English actors and the stage. And I did that for many, many years, almost exclusively, moving from theater to theater to wonderful American theaters. I was three years at this Actors Theater of Louisville um, uh, in as part of their company, which meant I would do five or six plays a year. And uh, I was useful in that I was a young character actor. I could play kind of the leading man, you know, obviously not the classic handsome leading man, but um, I was useful in a, in a variety of ways in a company, and I went from that company to a, a company in uh, a wonderful theater called the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I was there for uh, a year and a half, and then I went back to the Yale Repertory Theater, this time as a professional, not a student, and was a, a year or so there, a wonderful theater in Baltimore called Center Stage, Baltimore Center Stage. Finally, it was a show in New Haven at the Yale Repertory Theater that got me the attention of New York. It, it moved to New York. It moved to Off-Broadway. And that's where the transition began for me to be on the New York stage. And the New York stage was a little bit like doing repertory theater as well. It's like a big company. That is to say... You, there were a number of a pool of actors who worked all the time in New York. Um, I did Broadway, I did Off Broadway, I did some uh, some some 
beginnings of film work and things like that in New York. And it was out of there that I was hired to do Family Ties. I did the audition for Family Ties in New York. Now, I was that was a theater snob. I wasn't interested in television in particular. I thought, no, the highest form is the theater. And to be honest with you, that's changed. While theater is, I think, still amazing and, and probably the biggest workout you can have, that is to say, professional theaters, you're accounting for eight performances a week, essentially. Right six now. evenings six evenings and two matinees, which is not uncommon. So uh, that six-day-a-week job, uh, your big day off is Monday when everybody, you know, when everybody else is working. So you have a few friends outside the theater because who <laughs> else is off on a Monday? <laughs> and um, so I did that for years and years and years. And, uh, of course, it's a, it's, a, it's a night owl existence, too. You've got an 8 o'clock curtain at night. Um, and as time has gone on, I have found the medium I prefer, just in terms of my own personal life, is on a soundstage or behind a camera, only because I I I prefer um, I prefer the schedule. I uh, uh, the five day a week schedule usually. Occasionally, you film six days a week. Let's say Monday through Saturday, but more often than not, it's Monday through Friday. And uh, it's, the day starts early. You know, you know, you work in daylight hours. I'm more, I'm more easily in a makeup tra- trailer at six in the morning. I'm a morning person than then at at you know eight o'clock at night saying, okay, Bing, I've got to be the, my top form at eight o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. So I've become less of a night person, more of a day person. I think that's part of my normal cycle. And the other thing is the schedule itself. I missed my own daughter's high school and college graduations because graduations almost always happen on a Saturday afternoon. Right. And I was doing theater on Saturday afternoons. I was at my matinee. And unless you're at death's door, you do not desert. It's, it's like a troop of army rangers. You, know, you, don't, you don't desert your troop which is the theater you've rehearsed together you've got it together you've you know if you're if you're if you if you have cardiac arrest you let the 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 um the substitute go on you know the understudy but but you don't want to disappoint your partners and so you know i i missed my daughter's high school and graduate college graduations because they were on saturday afternoons and i was doing theater and i thought and things really began to change for me in terms of preference. The priorities changed when my daughter herself started having children of her own. Oh. Uh, and I wanted to be at their things. I said, okay, uh, this is, grandparenting is a, is, a, is a second chance to get things right, <laughs> you know, <laughs> things that you may have missed. Uh, I've also heard it, uh, God's reward for not murdering your own children. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and... Uh, so I uh, I love the role of grandparent, uh, and um, yesterday I was at my granddaughter's uh, high school varsity volleyball game. 
She's pushing 5'10". She's, well, she's 5'10". She's over 5'10". Now she's right on that front line center. And she's a great volleyball player. So I, and there's a game tomorrow. And I'm like, I'm right in that cheering section for her and the, the grandson's soccer matches and seeing them on weekends. And all I can say is priorities have changed. So mm-hmm. while I th- I've also used to feel that uh, the greatest uh, theater is, there's no, nothing quite like theater as a workout. It really is amazing. You know, you really have to have all the muscles. It's, it's, it requires more of you than anything I've ever done on film or television. Um, you know, doing those eight performances a week, uh, hitting that, uh, that eight o'clock curtain with, um, with, 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 with joy and, and discipline and energy, uh, eight times, well, six times a week. And then, you know, the two matinees. So, um, there's nothing quite like that workout. I must say though, just in terms of my lifestyle now, I prefer a little more behind the camera. Uh, it gives me more free time. And um, also, I've had the blessing that once upon a time, um, I found the best material on the stage. Uh, having said that, though, I found very good material uh, on screen, both big and small screens. And so uh, I'm not as prejudiced about that anymore. You know, I believe in following good material wherever it takes you, and that can be in any medium, really. See, I told you, I, I was going to take a long answers for a very short question well that's okay that's okay you know it's um it's quite a a learning experience listening to you talk about you know they you know your career in general and and speaking of you've had such an extensive and successful career and you've played many different roles over 45 years which is just amazing to me and uh what has been your favorite role to play and why well, uh, <clears throat> boy, they've all, I've had some real favorites. Something that's very much on my mind right now because it meant, it meant a lot to me just in terms of, <sighs> I love playing different and unusual things. And one of the things that was, uh, again, the breaks I've had, um, uh, was right after seven years of family ties, almost immediately after seven years of family ties and playing one of the nicest, liberal, sweet fathers that had ever appeared on a television show, I had the opportunity to do the first, uh, uh, the original Tremors, which was a sci-fi film with Kevin Bacon, Reba McIntyre, Fred Ward, a wonderful cast for for uh, Universal Studios. This was uh, came out in 1990, and this was a sci-fi film with an extremely different character, who was um, uh, right-wing survivalist, gun crazy, um, obsessive compulsive, dis- comically obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, disordered and um, uh, paranoid, <laughs> but comically <laughs> paranoid, and it was couldn't have been more different. Uh, and I've also so I enjoy I enjoy surprising people. Uh, right now I play a recurring gay man 
on uh, Grace and Frankie, the Netflix show with Lily Tomlin and and, uh, uh, Jane Fonda, um, uh, Sam Waterston, and uh, and Martin Sheen. Uh, I think extremely gay man who's like a wedding planner and a a chef. And um, I just love... I love variety. So give me something that's different. Give me something that's odd. Give me something that breaks the mold, in uh, and I'm happy with it. So there's no that. So the favorite roles for me are the ones that just challenge, challenge me the most and take me in a direction I haven't been before. In high school, I've in high school I've. I played a role that was written for a woman because I convinced. In the reading, I went in for auditions and things like that and convinced this director. I just gave him a great reading of this female role, and it was a very strange um, female, a grandmother, in in a play, and um, I just gave a very good reading for it, and I wanted to play it as a woman. You know, I didn't play it as a... Um, I didn't play it as a joke. I wanted to play this female role. You, you may or may not know this, but in traditional uh, Japanese theater, kabuki, there are men who specialize in playing the women's roles all their lives. The great women's all the all the actors in kabuki theater are men. Some of them play men. Some of them play women. Some of them, you know, stock characters and things like this. And I thought, if I were a kabuki player, it would the the great. Um, uh, the great challenge for me would be playing one of the, what's it like to, for a man to play a woman? What's it like for mm-hmm. a woman to play a man? What's it, you know, to, uh, the idea, I mean, it was ironic for me that I should be playing something as as ordinary as the uh, the very nice Stephen Keaton on Family Ties for seven years because I was more accustomed and I had a thirst for things that were very distant from me. and very My Broadway debut uh, was as a um, a female impersonator. <laughs> wow! <laughs> Believe it or not, and uh, I I received a a, a drama desk award uh, nomination for my first Broadway show uh, because it was such a striking character. He was he was a he was not a homosexual. He was a man who, uh, but he was he was a strange sort of evil man who was a Anyway, for a long story short, uh, was a Nazi informant in the 1930s, and this was a very interesting Broadway play. And uh, uh, but my opening scene was in a, a, a garter belt and a bra and a, and a red wig on a, on a trapeze, <laughs> you know, as a female impersonator. So I mean, I've always loved. The wild and unusual, and if I have a problem with my career, as it's as it as it is now, it's that I don't play those outrageous characters I used to. You know that that I was accustomed to playing, particularly on the stage, and that kind of makes me a little. Uh, a little eager sometimes to go back, you know, where they would let you do something like that because you become, you know, typecast. I play a very, a very decent father, for example, in in Christmas Pen Pals, not unlike um, 
I mean, decent in the way that you know I I found this I found this interesting because I thought, okay, where do I find the challenges here? Because I played a very decent father for seven years on Family Ties, and those roles don't ordinarily interest me that much as much as they used to because I say I've been there, done that. But with the help of the director and the writer, we were able to make it a far more interesting character as a man who didn't necessarily have answers, but a man who was seeking answers, who was looking for answers, um, uh, and, a very, and a very nice relationship with, uh, with, with uh, Sarah Drew. Uh, I played her father in this thing, and we were both, as father and daughter, both looking for answers. Uh, in 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 finding new relationships, or you know, not not isolating, and so uh, so that that I found that I found interesting. So I, I'm I'm always, but I'm looking I'm always looking for something. You know, I, I you know you'll you'll tend to get typecast more on on television and film certainly, and I'm always looking for the more outrageous and interesting characters. But I've usually found those on the on the stage, you know, because uh, you know for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So anything that keeps breaking the mold is something that's interesting to me. Not only because I want to keep audiences guessing, but because it's interesting to me. You yeah. know, it's like going going to a new country and saying, "Oh my God, you guys eat that? Let me try that. <laughs> Let me try that." Right. Oh, right. <laughs> I've never tasted locusts. Okay, I'll try locusts. You know, if you eat locusts oh. over here, I'll I'll eat some just to try it. You know, I'm curious uh, about things I haven't tried before, and uh, different smells, different tastes, different music, and different kinds of characters to play. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm I'm not that adventurous. Sorry, I'm not going to eat a locust <laughs> or a, locust a cockroach you, or <laughs> any of that kind of stuff. And you know, there's a couple of those type travel series on on TV or food series and stuff like that. And those are the ones I stay away from, where they're venturing out into these foreign countries and eating these things that the locals eat. That is, it's normal for them to eat, but. No, no. Mm-mm. So you were not a fan of Anthony Bourdain, and uh, well, <laughs> you no, I didn't want to mention him eat. by name, but yeah, <laughs> 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 I did catch one or two of his his episodes uh, way back when, and. Yeah. Uh, when I realized that this was going to be a natural thing that he was going to be doing on every episode, I was like, uh, "Sorry, no, I can't do this." <laughs> I must, I must say, there was a time where I drew the line too, where I was in uh, Tanzania on safari, and I went to a, uh, uh, I went to a, a tribal ceremony where the um, the Maasai. Uh, tribe uh, cuts open the 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 blood of their their cattle. They pierce a vein in one of their cat, not an artery, a vein in their in one of their cattle's, and then they drink the blood. I was offered the the blood from the cattle. I was like, no, I don't think I'll drink uh, that. <laughs> no. And that was the thing. I wasn't, I wasn't squeamish about blood. I was squeamish about disease. Yeah. You know, like I could I could see if somebody. For example, if somebody cooked a locust, I would eat it because it's like, okay, there's no germs on it anymore. It's been right, cooked, right. Thoroughly, thoroughly crackled. But I was, I thought, I don't know if I want to, you know, 
I don't know that I want to drink blood from a living thing because blood could carry disease. You know, that was my Mm -hmm. thing there. It wasn't the taste. I wasn't squeamish. It was just like health, you know. So, well, I'm, I'm glad to otherwise know that you have some kind of limit. So <laughs> I do, I do. Even I have standards. And that may have been that may have been your affirmation too as to why you did not pursue medicine. You know, yeah, you right, 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 right. <laughs> I could catch something here. Yeah, right. <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm more likely to catch something kissing an actress than I am being <laughs> a doctor. You don't know where you don't know where they've been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I I wanted to get back to um, your role on on Grace and Frankie on Netflix. Um, first of all, let me say I absolutely, and I know I'm I'm not the one percent. I'm probably the you know ninety percent of the people out there that absolutely love and adore Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin. And you've gotten to work with Lily more than once. I I mean, I just, I can still see to this day her doing that one ringy-dingy, two ringy-dingy. So that tells you a little bit about my age. Oh, wow. Yeah, Um, yeah. (laughs) Wow. And big business. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. But... (laughs) She's, they're they're both amazing, and I've yet to catch that series. It's on my folder, but as you know, there's like a zillion things to watch and there's so many, many venues to watch them on. Who, yes, exactly. Yeah, you just you can't. Um, no. But what was it like working on Netflix? Is it different than working on TV or in a film? Uh, wait, say that. You know, really, no. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a camera. There's a crew. There's a, you know, a boom over your head. It's pretty much. It, it feels very much the same. I mean, it. Uh, um, usually, it depends more on budget than anything. Um, mm-hmm. This, um, you know, a big budget film, you'll have more time usually to work on something they'll you'll have more opportunities you know on a smaller budget film or television they say you know we got to keep moving here we got to keep moving we have a certain number of pages we have to cover every day and you know i would say for example the disney film i did last year you know bigger budget it's a little more wiggle room if you will um mm-hmm. to, to to try things and experiment whereas um other things will will film very quickly. You don't have a lot of, uh, you know, I, I for example, I did a film in uh, perfect example, Christmas Pen Pals, the Lifetime movie. I did a film with Sarah that was, or a, a film, a scene with Sarah, which was a wonderful, quiet father daughter moment. It was like. Three and a half, four pages long. It was a lot of dialogue, and but just these two of them. It was one of those lovely things where there were no explosions, there were no <laughs> no special effects, just two people who cared about each other, talking to each other about problem solving, how they were approaching life, and how they were trying, and, and the struggles they had with it, and um, how, trying to make sense of things. And and we did it a number of times. Uh, you know, we did a, 
the, a two shot. We did a sort of wide, um, uh, wide master shot, and then we came in closer and did a two shot side by side, and then they did a, a shot over me to her, and then a shot across her to me, and a closer shot of her, and a closer shot of me, and all these sorts of things. We did it a number of ways, and we did it a number of times. And um, I forget how many hours we spent on it, but I said, I loved the scene so much, and they seemed happy with it, and they said, great, we have everything I need. And I said, my greatest regret with this scene today is that it's not, I enjoyed it, had a good time, and I think we did some good work, but were we in a big budget, let's say motion picture film, we might have we might have spent half a day on that and we might have kept discovering more and more. Now, sometimes there's a point where you say, okay, you just, it's not getting any better. Just stop. Um, but sometimes you get just by doing things over and over again. I, I happen to like sometimes multiple takes and multiple just exploration. It's the way you used to, you know, rehearse in some ways uh, in the theater, you know, before you actually put on the show. And in some ways, um, I, I just love the exploration of doing multiple takes. And um, I said, my greatest regret with this scene is that we're not, that this was a movie for television as opposed to a, a large budget feature where we could have spent a half a day or even a day on five pages. And mm-hmm. we could have explored it to the point of almost exhaustion where your defenses are down and your emotions become raw just because you're so damn tired. You're almost sick of the scene, but you <laughs> things pop up. You know, things start to happen when your defenses are down and you're exhausted. And, and I just think that's fun, you know, trying a multitude of things. I remember once talking with a, a wonderful actress who won an Academy Award for her work years ago in Bonnie and Clyde. And I worked with her on the stage. Her name is Estelle Parsons. It's probably a name that doesn't mean very much yeah. to you, but Estelle is it, won. Isn't uh, she the one, the Golden Girls? Oh, that um, it was? You know, I honestly don't or know whether she was no. on that as well. Oh, no, that was Estelle Getty. Estelle Getty. Getty. That right. was Estelle Getty. Getty. Okay. But this uh-huh. was Estelle Parsons, and she, she won an Academy Award for uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, the Arthur Penn movie, which was done in the, I want to say the late 60s, early 70s. And um, and I worked with Estelle on the stage shortly after she, at some point after she won this Academy Award. And I, I congratulated her for for her work in that and the, the Oscar. And she said, oh, I didn't win that Oscar. I said, what do you mean, Estelle? She said, oh, the editor, the film editor won that Oscar. They had me do it 20 different ways, and they chose the one they liked, and that's what won the Oscar. She said, you know, we did it a multiple number of ways, and I tried a number of things. And she said the Oscar was won by the the editor who picked, who picked, you know, that was, who picked the, the takes that made her look the best. Now, I think that was being, her being overly humble. But my point is, it's fun to explore sometimes, and sometimes it can be, you know, there are nuances in a, in 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 doing multiple takes that are just such fun to watch. And uh, you know, so that's a perfect example of what's what's the difference between sometimes different mediums is, uh, um, 
you, you may have more time in a big budget film to explore things. And on, in the stage, you may have more time weeks ahead of time as you rehearse to explore things. Um, and it just varies. You've just got to be a, uh, in a lower budget thing, or if, if, if the schedule is moving quickly, you've got to be at the top of your game on your first take because you don't have time to, to, uh, to mess around. I, could ch- I can tell you right now, the toughest thing for me ever to have done was the f- five or six months I did on The Young and the Restless once. I just decided I've never done... <laughs> I've never done a soap opera. Let's let's do a soap <laughs> opera. They made me an offer to come in and play a character. I did. He was kind of an interesting con man, which was fun, and the, uh, the the father of one of their major characters. And that was very tough because they they've got to churn out an hour's worth of programming a day, mm. which means many many pages. And so you'll do it once. And if you don't accidentally chop off your hand in the middle of the scene, they'll say, okay, great, that's fine, let's move on. And you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm, hi- I'm just getting started here. Nope, done, sorry, moving on, we don't have time. I found that extremely frustrating, extremely frustrating. You know, I felt, it. you know, sometimes it just takes me a minute to take to to kind of warm up to find some things because ultimately well just to find things and you know time is a great editor in some ways and when you're and i felt like i was on an assembly line uh, <laughs> working working on soap opera so i didn't i didn't particularly enjoy that format it, it went too fast for me i didn't have time to to try things to explore yeah yeah, you know, that was actually going to be my next question of, of what your experience was on working on The Young and the Restless. But oh, really? I guess yeah. Instead, yeah, instead yeah, I'm I going have, to ask you. I think my biggest uh, problem, uh, there's a very talented people there. I think mm-hmm. it, it's it's tough to grade. You know, the the um, uh, I I had a difficult time because plot turns take the damnedest twists sometimes and <laughs> yeah. and and I I'm try, I'm always trying to make with my with my background in theater and other things like that I'm always trying to make sense of things like what is this right. what is the journey of this character and I remember, and I think they got I I lasted no more than 5 or 6 months on that because I think they got tired of my answer, asking questions I would ask you know I I I'd be given a script and the man my man is my character's threatening to commit suicide. And I'm going, wait a minute, he wasn't suicidal yesterday. What happened? <laughs> you know, what, what's, what's going on here? And there's not even time to ask those questions. It's like, just do it. And so what I learned <laughs> from that is to make a commitment to something. No matter mm-hmm. if it made sense or not, and a lot of times I find it doesn't make sense, yeah. You know, right. so I so you know, let me put it this way. It felt a little like a a factory. I there are very talented writers, there are very talented producers, there are very talented actors. But but I have trouble producing art with a timer sitting next to me saying, "Pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Let's go. Come on, come on, come on, come on." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, turn on the switch, turn on the art switch and and start talking. You know, I just, I think I need a little breathing room. And so that was not the medium for me. And I doubt that I would, I can't imagine ever going back to something like that. <laughs> just because 
Uh, not because you know because it's hard to write. I and mean, some people are very good at deadlines, and I just I don't I don't like doing it that way. Well, on that note, you were phenomenal as your character on The Young and the Restless. I remember you being on there. I've I've been a you yeah. know, I've watched Young and the Restless for as long as I can remember, but you know, when you were talking oh, wow. about how the plot lines don't make sense, well they don't call it daytime drama for nothing. You know, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> right, like right. there would be no drama if it made sense. It would be like, you know, it's it frustration <laughs> for the viewers to watch these things play out, yeah. you know. And, Right, oh my right, God! Right. So I can't. I can imagine that for you being, you know, part of it, acting how frustrating it would be to be trying to carry it out for the viewers. And um, so, uh, but that leads me to um, we've got to talk about the award-winning family ties. I mean, my gosh, oh, such a iconic time. And honestly, Michael, um, they just don't make primetime television like that anymore um boy i i i i guess i'd agree i don't watch that much anymore so it's hard for me to tell but i know there's some very good things out there um mm-hmm. a lot of the things that are award-winning right now are of course very edgy yeah uh, which means sometimes overtly sexual sometimes you know and i'm not again i'm not a prude i am not a prude but i uh um i uh but I, I don't like things done just for shock's sake. You know what I mean? Um, right. I, I want it to be organic to the piece. Um, uh, and uh, and I don't necessarily – I could just take so so much of that. Um, uh, and it's not that I need laughs and pure escapism and stuff like that. There's some marvelous, marvelous things out there which are uh, tough and hard-driven. I just – I just um, you know, I don't need a steady diet of it. Um, it's harder to find those 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 things. Um, you're right. Uh, where every uh, the difference is where everybody can sit down and watch the same piece. You don't have to protect your children from it. Right, um, right. In some ways, I think parents right now have a a great deal of difficulty because they feel the media is at war with their family values. Um, and I don't even know what what that means exactly. Family values, and I'm not as I say, I'm not a prude. I'm not this. I'm not a scold. Uh, I, I, we handled some tough, tough things on family ties. Uh, ties. We handled um, in the first year. There was a story we did about uh, titled "Uncle Arthur," where a good friend of mine had made a pass at my daughter. You know, this 40-year-old man who was a friend of mine, who I regard as a true friend, was putting the makes on was was putting the make on a 16-year-old. You know, so we handled some tough things, but um, we handled it sensitively without being overt, without it being overtly sexual or anything like that, but we handled tough situations um, and moral moral decisions and things like that. Um, and uh, we handled teenage pregnancy and a lot of other things in family ties uh, and did it, I think um, sensitively and and comically as well, as well as really getting tackling some some difficult issues, trying to make sense of them. Well, do you do you think that that is a big reason why the show was so successful and so wildly popular? Because you 
you know, as a cast and crew and writers and everyone involved with that show, as you just mentioned, you know, you touched on some very sensitive topics, which in this day and time would just be talked about freely and readily. And, and back then, you know, would not have been so open or easy to discuss. Right, right. Uh, I, I, to be honest with you, I have a, my take on why it was so popular is that we were a very popular American family because American families as a whole were not doing that well. Yeah. I have had so many people come up to me, men who say, you raised me. My dad wasn't there. Wow. I am the child of a divorce. I, I had an absentee father or a father who was too busy or I come from a broken home. And I would look at family ties and to this day I think to myself, what would Stephen Keaton do? I said, holy Moses, <laughs> I had no idea there was so much pressure. You know, I had no much, <laughs> I had no idea. But I think it was because of the fact that there's still a tough divorce rate. There's not a lot of commitment in the world in general. Um, uh you know, uh, multiple marriages and people cheating on spouses. And I'm not just talking about the President of the United States. <laughs> you know, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about the average citizen. You know, uh, just the... Uh, and I think people took pleasure and comfort in an intact America family where you could have disagreements with the family and still have love. Mm-hmm. See, I think mm-hmm. there's a I think there's a there's a lesson for that in in today's world too between warring politicians uh, yeah. to say, well, look, we disagree, but we're all Americans. Right, we're all same, right. We're all in the same family of America. That's we're right. Americans first, and we're Democrats and Republicans, or liberals or conservatives second, but first right. we're Americans. Right. That's true. And how did we lose that? And I think Family Ties has lessons for that today. Different sorts of people uh, can agree to disagree and still have a kind of high regard for each other. You know, and it's not that far back that that was happening politically in our country, too. Really, when, you know, Donna Donna and I have discussed that at length, and we don't always agree, (laughs) so we agree to disagree and we move on. And we've had the great, we've had the greatest friendship for what seven years now. Yeah. Um, And that's, you know, that's how we've gotten to be friends for so long because we know that we're not going to get anywhere if we keep going back and forth arguing our point. It's not going to. And you're not going to get anywhere if you don't. If you don't, you, you have first of all have. People, I, I just know this from 35 years of marriage. You have to be able to listen to the other person and understand their point mm-hmm. of view. Right. And you've got to give them right. respect of listening. And then after that, again, the thing I've learned in marriage is compromise. There was a day right. that with, when very conservative Ronald Reagan and very liberal Tip O'Neill, the leader of the House, leader of the Democrats, could just sit down as two Irishmen and talk things out. Yeah, well, I'll give you. I'll true. give you this. I'll give you this if you give me that. I'll right, try that. Right. Nobody wants to compromise anymore. No. <laughs> I don't see. I don't see how any of these people have marriages. That's true. I seriously don't. Yeah. I don't because compromise is something I have to learn every day when I'm dealing with my spouse. Yeah. 
you know, uh, and so I don't I don't see how these guys even keep marriages together. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> I don't know. But you know, it's, it's not just in that. It's 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 kind of a societal thing too, where across the board you just find so many people at odds, and and uh, you know, and and not to get off topic, but that unfortunately is kind of everywhere you turn, and and the art of compromise can be used everywhere. To, to make a difference, and uh, but you're right, family ties um, is I think needed more than ever, <laughs> you know now because the lessons from that show of yesterday certainly are very applicable still today. Yeah, right. Um, there are there's something that holds people together despite their differences, and I think that's that's the important that's the important thing to take from um, from that, you know. Oh yeah, um, definitely, and. Uh, it, it, Pam, you were talking about something along the lines of like this. I think you and I were sharing something about reboots and, you know, oh, how we miss the good old days of, you know, television and the way it used to be. And uh, it's just amazing how things have changed in that dynamic. In that respect, yeah, I was glad to see Ro- I was glad to see Roseanne come back again. In some ways, now I didn't watch it just because I don't watch that much television as much as I used to. And there, as you say, there's so many choices, but um, you know, because they were t- they were tackling some tough issues in Roseanne um, and Will, I guess, in the new reboot without with those without Roseanne Barr, but they handled it comically. You know, but I don't. I don't. You know, the same way Archie Bunker, uh, you know, all in the family handled things comically. They handled some very tough things, and I enjoy that. And you, I, I think sometimes you've got to see the humor in these extreme positions too. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and if you can effectively do that, I think that helps diffuse the anger. You know, we're all a little bit right. silly sometimes when we take a when we take a position that is unbending. You know. <laughs> Uh, exactly. we, we all strike. We all strike comic poses at times, which are particularly when we're trying to be serious. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of the reboots, if they did do one for Family Ties, would you consider going back to that? Um, the reason I say no is that um, there was such magic. What they did, it would be very difficult for me to to imagine that world again. Um, our executive producer, who was the heart and soul of Family Ties, passed away about six years ago. Um, he was he was wonderful, and he was the he was the beating heart of that piece. The other writers, who were wonderful writers, uh, have gone on to do other things. The Disney film I just worked on this 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 last year um, uh, will uh, was directed by one of our former writers from Family Ties, um, who's gone on to do other things. His name is Mark Lawrence. He did, among other things, Miss Congeniality with Sandra Bullock. Was his? He was the writer mm-hmm. director of that film, and he's gone on to do some other fun things. And he's a great guy. And uh, nobody wants to, I don't think people want to come back. Michael Fox's health is, while he's in great shape, it's somewhat compromised. I don't think Michael right. wants to do full-time work anymore like that. Mm-hmm. As mm-hmm. And I, to be quite honest with you, I have nightmares occasionally that we're starting family ties, and it's never as good as it was. 
I I do have a uh, it's I've had that reoccurring nightmare several times where they say, "Okay, we're all going to do this again." And I'm happy because they say, you know, it's a steady paycheck and it's going to be a lot of money. And then we start filming and I go, "Oh god, this isn't very good. This isn't as good as I remembered it being." Seriously, I have that I've had that nightmare several times that they've reinitiated it and it's just not as good. So my tendency is to say, first of all, it's never going to happen because we don't have the great production staff that, that we that we had in terms of the the writers and uh, uh, time has taken us to different places, and I think we yeah. uh, we just want to remember it as it was, and and reviving it just might be in some ways morbid and strange. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we would be remiss if we did not talk to you about your brand-new Christmas movie on Lifetime, Christmas Pen Pals. And uh, you've touched on a little bit throughout our time here. And what can you tell us about this movie um, that, you know, will be, I think, that viewers may or may not expect? Um, uh, You know, the fact that the title has Christmas in it, we already know it's going to be a great movie. You're in it. We know it's going to be an awesome movie. So what can you tell us about this movie without giving too much away? Um, well, uh, I'm. it's about two people who are at points in their lives where they've – it's an interesting relationship for me with the with the father-daughter thing. Sarah Drew plays – Daughter, you may have seen her for what well, I don't know how many seasons she did on Grey's Anatomy, but she's very well thought of and a lovely, lovely young actress. And um, um, she is, she, in some ways, going about trying to find love in all the wrong ways. Um, and her father, who's a, her, she's and she's she's still very broken up about the loss of her mother, which was some years ago. And her father, played by me, is a man who has begun to isolate a little bit, has not gone out, you know, he's not, he's not enjoying life the way he used to. He's, he's a sweet man. He's a nice guy, but he just lets other people do things now. He doesn't get a Christmas tree himself. He lets his other daughter, he goes over and decorates her tree and, you know, he doesn't do Christmas dinner. He's, he's a guy who's become closed down a little bit, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's it's really about the two of them. I hate... Uh, I'll be honest with you. For, for, when this first came along, I thought, does the world really need another Christmas movie? Come on. There's so many of them. <laughs> yeah. And then I found myself reading this, and I said, oh, I'm really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. There were a few places where I thought, this was a man who's searching for answers. He doesn't have answers. In those few places where he seemed to be a bit glib about knowing what to do next, I said, can we make him not know what to do next? Mm. Because what's always exciting is to watch somebody's journey, how to f- finding their way as opposed to knowing the way. Nobody right. Will, if you know right. your way, that's no fun. Finding the way is always interesting. And so... In this respect, it's a kind of parallel story. Naturally, the greater part of the story is is involved with uh, with dear Sarah and her search uh, for this. And uh, and uh, to whom does she connect? 
and how to how do you connect and and it has to do in some ways with finding love the old fashioned way um it's um it's a very old fashioned movie in that way which i think has has a great deal of charm to it and it, as christmas pen pals might uh uh might imply it has a lot to do with letter writing and um people getting to know each other a little bit apart from a person, from the spoken word, from thoughts on paper. And uh, and that I found was very different and sort of old-fashioned and fun. Um, and, they, you know, very uh, a different way of going going about love and, and connection, finding connection in, in ways you didn't think possible. So uh, that's sort of fun. Mm-hmm. And that attract that attracted me to it. It was a, I I loved the director. Uh, I uh, I very much enjoyed Sarah, and ultimately I came to really uh, like this uh, like this script. There were there were funny moments, there were very touching moments, uh, joyous moments, and without being, I think we avoided being sappy. That was very important to me that you don't get saccharine and sappy in these. You know, TV movies that you you fight for a happy conclusion. It doesn't just it just doesn't turn out happy. You fight right. You fight to make things right. Right. Uh, happiness is usually um, the best sort of happiness is usually uh, a result of of finding your way to goodness. And you're not just you know a lot of people say, "What do you want your kids to be?" Oh, I want them to be happy. Well, I said, "Well." Maybe if your children are good, they will be happy. Teach them to be good, not just happy. Right. Happy can be happy can be shallow. So what we tried to find in this film, I think, is a way of finding a happy ending through a real battle. You know, through uh, jumping over hurdles, as opposed to happiness comes easy. I don't think it always does, and happiness can be very elusive, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Um, I think we fought for our happiness in this, and we earned it in the course of the film. And I was—I think I was very—I was delighted by that. And a director, and a writer, and producers who were very open to that sort of thing. So um, well, that, that that made me uh, that made me very pleased with it. I love doing you know, these as things, fans, among other things. As because, fans of movies, I'm sorry, I was going to say, no, as fans of movies like your type that you're explaining right now. For Christmas pen pals, I I think that as a viewer, that's what we want to see too. We don't want to see just you know, oh hi, how you doing? Haven't seen you in forty years. Okay, let's kiss, let's get married. Right. You know that's okay when you're you're sitting there in La La Land and you just need something to watch to get your mind off of something. I enjoy the more complex storyline. Well, I think they help us too because life is complex. Life is tricky mm-hmm. business, mm-hmm. and you can have a happy ending, but it's more satisfying if you fight for it first. Oh, um, yeah. My definition of sentimentality is um, unearned emotion. You know, mm-hmm. emotion that you haven't fought for. That that's sentimental, and so um, uh, the the fight for this and the Sarah was very and the director were very much on the same page is. We don't want this to be sappy. We don't want it to be sentimental. We want every bit of emotion to be fought for. Um, we're going to get there, but it's not going to be easy getting there. 
you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we oh, yeah. fight fight for a happy ending. <laughs> and and part of the fun is watching the battle, you know. Oh yeah, well, and we'll then, definitely and, be watching. <laughs> Go ahead, Don. Sorry. Definitely. Oh, I was just going to say, and and another nuance to to this movie that you're describing is the fact that you've got the nostalgic elements and that are kind of weaved into fighting for the happiness, which, you know, I think can resonate with so many viewers who, um, you know, are yearn for nostalgia and yearn for the good old days, but they know that you know in life. It's it's challenging. It's tough. It's hard, and it's not going to be easy. <laughs> and if you're well, going to, you know, you right. do have to fight in life. So this is true to form, you know. Yeah, people, uh, people. I think audiences are less willing to fight for something that's too sappy, uh, because people are. Real life is is difficult, and people know mm-hmm. that. And if you give them something where it's too easy, they go. It's not ah, believable. I don't buy it. Yeah, I don't. Buy right, it. right. That's right. Um, so I, yeah, I don't like. Yeah, I we we're very much on the same page. I want to mention one other thing about letter writing too, and that is that Meredith Baxter, my former co-star and I from Family Ties, mm-hmm. still get together. We're getting together in a couple of weeks, and there's a show we occasionally take on the road called Love Letters, which is about two different people, two very different people, a man and a woman, who uh, form a friendship all through life, chiefly through their correspondence. From the notes they passed to each other in second grade uh, all the way to the end of their lives. Uh, you know, telegrams, notes, invitations, thank you notes, uh, uh, all these sorts of things. And um, we're taking that on a few places in the United States uh, this year and next year on tour. And we, so Meredith and I still keep that chemistry alive. Uh, doing that play, and we will be doing, you know, continuing to do this, uh, you know, this play all through this uh, part of this year and into early, early 2019. And we're just to see how far we can take it because we love doing it. We're taking it to sometimes out of the way places, real um, heartland sorts of things. Uh, we're going to Montana uh, at the end of September, beginning of October. We're going to New Hampshire. We're going to the Carolinas in 2019. And, you know, we're just taking this to out-of-the-way places that not not necessarily huge metropolitan areas and get we think this is something that first of all they enjoy seeing us together after so many years but it's a it's a wonderful um, uh, very dear piece that is funny and tough and loving and uh, it's a great it's a great great journey so uh, we're keeping those family ties alive yeah, absolutely, Definitely. and yeah. uh, and you mentioned you were coming to the Carolinas in 2019, so I, I'm in North Carolina, so I definitely will look forward to that, and um, well, I hope yes, to get I to tell, see you guys. I, uh, we, we, we had two, I forget the names of the town, we were talking, I forget, was it February and March of 2019, we had two, two a couple of towns lined up in, Carolina, in North Carolina, and um, uh, if you... On my Facebook page is where I list all these things. Okay. And the, the Facebook page, I think I, I think I sent that to you um, uh, in the biography today, Pam. Uh, Pam. Yes, you did. Uh, yes. Uh, the, Facebook, the, the Facebook is actor Michael Gross. Actor Michael Gross. Facebook dot com slash actor Michael Gross. Yes. So, um, but I, I I announce those sorts of things all the time there. So that's where that that's where that would be listed, because okay. it's not it's not something. It's 
not something that rolls off the tongue like Raleigh Durham or something like that. It's another right. town, a couple other towns, you know. So, um, uh, and it wasn't Charlotte, or you know, it's just I guess I say out of the way places, interesting, sort of off the grid places, real, you know, uh, not just the major metropolitan areas. We thought it'd be interesting to do real heartland sorts of things. So. Uh. Yeah. Well, we certainly look forward to that. And uh, and before we wrap up our interview with you, we like to do a little five question lightning round where I ask you. Oh boy! You, okay. And you just you just and it's, <laughs> it's all Christmas related because you know this is a Christmas show, so it won't be anything that will be too hardball or anything. It's just the first okay. thing that comes to mind, and uh, it's kind of a fun way to uh, to you know to see what your Christmas favorite things are but um okay. i'll start with uh your favorite christmas tradition one of our traditions uh in our family is watching an old jack benny christmas show from the late 50s early 60s it is a jack benny it was a jack benny christmas special we have it on dvd we watch it as a family we can almost recite every line uh and Jack Benny was a comedian from the 40s, 50s, 60s. And this was a Christmas special. And like everybody else watches It's a Wonderful Life, we watch the Jack Benny Christmas special every holiday time. And that's an awesome special, too, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite Christmas song? I don't know. A Silent Night comes to mind immediately. I just, there's something so peaceful about it. And uh, I sang in choirs for many years, and I always loved, I always loved singing that. Yeah. Your favorite Christmas movie? Well, um, I'm going to tell you something that I really love. I love Angels, but I'm going to I'm going to tell you. I don't know if this is the favorite, but it's one of the favorite. It's called The Bishop's Wife, and if you haven't heard of that, you should see it. The Bishop's Wife. Has Cary Grant, yes, Loretta yes, Young, yes. <laughs> and David Niven. Oh, Cary, love Cary that Grant, movie. Love Cary Grant plays an angel in this, mm-hmm. an angel who falls in love with the mortal, Liter- um, Loretta Young by name, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, David Niven is a sort of tough. Um, uh, he's an Episcopal bishop who's trying to get a cathedral built, and he's all about the money, and he's lost the Christmas spirit, and he prays for help, and by God, Cary Grant shows up to help him. And it is one of my favorite films, The Bishop's Wife. Oh. See it. Well, See it. It yes. is magnificent. John before, you, John, before you go any further, I just have to cut in really quick. That's okay. I have watched. I have to. I have watched every single Cary Grant movie there is. I absolutely love everything he does, and I have seen The Bishop's Wife and love that movie as well. Yeah, great. Yeah, it's a beauty. It's a beauty. And it they don't make me... movies like that anymore. No, you know? it no. could, drive me, to, it could mm-hmm. drive me to tears. I tell you, it could drive me to tears. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, hot toddy or hot chocolate? Hot chocolate. <laughs> I don't right. want. I don't want. Um, yeah. I, first of all, I'm a huge chocolate lover, and uh, <laughs> and I wouldn't. I wouldn't put anything in my chocolate, by the way. And so it's definitely hot chocolate. Definitely. Oh, hot it chocolate. would ruin it if you put anything no. in the chocolate. Chocolate needs hard, nothing. Hard, it's dark chocolate. Dark. <laughs> dark chocolate. Almost, 
almost bitter, a trace yeah. of bitterness, not too much sugar. Yeah. I don't like sweet chocolate, so myself yeah, I love it. included. <laughs> um, and lastly, white lights or colored lights? Oh, that's a good one. We always do. I we always do white lights. I prefer colored lights. That's my preference. But the family tradition has become the white lights. My parents did white lights. My um, my wife's family, and we've done white lights all our lives. My own personal preference is colored. But hey, I was out, I've been outvoted in in my, in my <laughs> with mom and dad and with my wife and kids. So. I go with the white lights. <laughs> oh, well, I can certainly appreciate that. You know, having children growing up, it was always colored lights, and I was I always loved white lights, and it was like, you know, so it was opposite of you, and, and then they grew up and moved away from home, and it's like, oh, I can have my white lights now. This is awesome, you know. So, uh, but, uh, but, yeah, so I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for playing the lightning round with us. Well, and, uh, that was very easy. Thank you. <laughs> I think it would be is. Not going to be anything out of the out of the weird ordinary. Um, but uh, and again, thank you so much for spending your time with us this evening and chatting about your career, which has been phenomenal. And it's just been such an honor for Pam and I to to have this time with you. It's been a real pleasure. Do me one favor, just let me know when this is going to be on, so I can put it on social media. Yeah, we will yeah. definitely. Yeah. Most Please definitely. do, uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, and you guys must. Do you have a Facebook page too? Is it Take Two or what is? It? I mean, I should. You should. Yeah, I should just know what. The, uh, you, that's probably it, on your. Uh, I'll, I'll that's email probably, that stuff to you too. I'll I think email that's it probably on at the end of your emails anyway, Pam. I should just start looking at them, yeah. liking your page <laughs> and following a little bit, and then we can sort of keep in touch a little better that way. Okay. Definitely, so give, and we would love to up. have you back again someday too. Well, I tell you, if you do that, uh, if we do that uh, Christmas, yeah, 2019, that uh, mm-hmm. that Disney movie is coming along, and I play uh, an elder elf, and uh, Shirley MacLaine, the wonderful Shirley MacLaine, uh, plays mm-hmm. another elder elf, and uh, this is with Bill Hader and Anna Kendrick, and uh, just uh, going to, I think it'll be a great. Uh, a great Christmas uh, hit for Disney in 2019, so I'd be happy to come back. Absolutely. We'd Please love to do. have you back. Well, thank All you right, so well, much, and appreciate everything. That, thank you. Yeah, and uh, Merry and, Christmas well, to both and, of you. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All Take right. Care. If you have any follow-up questions, you just get in touch with me, okay? All right. We'll do. We'll All do. Right. Thank you. Enjoy thank it. You. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey guys, don't leave us yet. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Christmas Movies, that's X-M-A-S-M-U-V-I-E-S, and also like our Facebook page at Christmas Movie Spotlight. Don't forget, that's spelled M-U-V-I-E-S. And follow us on Instagram at Christmas Movie Spotlight. And don't forget to check out our website, ChristmasMovieSpotlight.com. That's movies with M-U-V-I-E-S, ChristmasMovieSpotlight.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.